so much for this amazing opportunity to preach tonight, and, and I hope that God opens your heart, and I, I hope that this message that He has burdened me with is going to go and lodge in your heart, and hopefully that God will bring freedom and restoration in every single one of us. That's kind of the hope of my heart for today, and I, and um, you know, if you probably didn't know who I was, and I kind of just like randomly walked up to you and I said hi, it's kind of like my job, but I also wanted to get to know you. My, my goal is to get to know every single one of you before you leave. That's about 254 of you, um, minus the 80-some leaders that we have here. I think I, I have some ways to go. But what I, what I want to encourage you is use this time. You're going to look back seven years, ten years from now, and you're going to look at these memories that you've made. Take, take you know, a chance and, and, and participate and, and create a whole bunch of memories. Take as many Snapchats as you can. You're probably going to have to have a hard time uploading them, but whatever. You know, take some memories on Instagram. Enjoy this time because you're young, you're good-looking, you're full of energy, and God, this is, if we're still breathing, that means that God still has a purpose for us on this earth, amen? So, so enjoy this time, you know, and this one thing, just, just really get rid of for the next two days. Stop complaining. Don't get offended. Like, those things, we don't, we don't have time for that, right? Like, we have an amazing time here to create memories, and I hope that that's my, uh, that's my encouragement to you, and I hope that you take that. But today, I want to talk to you on this, this subject of when you encounter, uh, you know, something that opposes you, something that is about to fight you. The title of my message is this, is do you run or do you fight? Do you run or do you fight? Um, growing up, like, I had... I had this amazing fascination with war games. Uh, we didn't really have any kind of, any kind of um, games on the computer because we didn't know what a computer was at that time. But th- the thing is that we played in the streets until like 3 a.m. in the morning and some- somehow our parents were okay with, the- with us doing that. And we played these war games and the thing is that we were poor. We didn't have any money. So we had to make our own guns and everything, you know. And uh, I remember that this one time, there was two kids that came from Moscow, I believe. And, and, and they came into our area. And naturally, we had to defend our land, right? Like, we had to fight. Um, have, have you noticed when you're a kid and you're fighting war games, you're always on the right side? Like, your side is always the right side. And if you, if you, if you grow up to be older, you realize that a lot of times when you have arguments and you actually have a real fight, you're always on the right side. You know that you're on the right side. And at that time, she said amen. <laughs> and on that time, I was on the right side of this whole conflict that we had. So we kind of put, we kind of closed the road and these kids were, were scared, first of all, because they were not from our area. And we decided we we're going to capture them because they are prisoners of war. Like, what are they doing they were visiting their grandma, but like to us, they were invading. So, um, you know, so we captured them, but then we didn't really think it through because we're like, what do we do with our prisoners of war? Like, what do we do with them now? After like we, uh, we capture them, what do we do with them now? So, well, we decided to make friends with them. Well, bad idea because they used our friendship against us at some point. But like, it's not like I, I got over that. But as I, as I grew older, we are... Our games, our war games intensified. And uh, we actually started to kind of have weaponry that was a lot more sophisticated. Like, I don't know, um, use a spring loaded, you know, and, and little pebbles and we shoot at people and birds and all the other stuff. But um, the older I got, our games kind of got more serious. 
since Alex Kolibaba is not here today, and uh, he was here last year, and that was his last year of camp. I can talk about him because he's not here. Well, <laughs> I remember this one particular time we came here, and he invited over, uh, well, Alexi. So at that time, me, Alex Kolibaba, Alexi, and Ben, we all hang out together. And so Mike Kolibaba's here. Well, he has two brothers. One of them is Vitali, and one of them is, is Alex. So Alexi invited us over to his house. So we were watching a game, and then decided, they decided they're going to leave early. So as they were leaving, I get a phone call from them. At that time, it was my first phone, and it was very cool. Um, I'm that old. But like, when they left, they called me, and they're like, hey, go look at your car. And I'm like, what? And they're like, go look at your car. So all three of us, me, Ben, and Alexi, we walk out, and my car, my whole windshield is just trashed, right? Like, it has a whole bunch of, like, crumbs, a whole bunch of, like, milk. It was just, it was just weird, my whole windshield. And Alexi goes, uh-uh, this, just, this, this right here, this didn't happen. So he runs the house. I'm like, bro, what are you going to do? He, he, I'm like, it's my car. I'm, I'm not offended. I'm, I'm cool. He's like, no, this is, dude, we got to, you know, because at that time, you know how Jesus says, do unto others as you'd like others to do unto you. We subscribe to the idea of do unto others as they have done unto you. So like we, he ran into the house, he ran into the house, right? And he comes out with like, like a huge hand of like lipstick. And I'm like, where'd you get that from? He's like, dude, my mom can understand that this is more important. Get in the car. We, we get in the car, and we start driving to his house. And you know, like, when you're about to do something, you always get hyped up, and you're like, yeah. And when they're going to come out, they'll be like, what? What did I do with my car? And they'll, like, they'll get it. Like, you don't do that to your friends. Like, so we, we talk this whole huge game up, right? And we get to his house, and I think his parents still live in that place, but it's a gated community. So we jump the fence. And we go, and um, this was before I was, you know, a pastor and all that, so just a little bit of perspective, but we jump the fence, we go to his car, and we just write a whole bunch of things on his car with lipstick. You know how hard it is to get lipstick off, right? Like, so we write his whole car off, and we jump the fence back, we get in the car, we call him, we're like, hey, go look at your car. <laughs> so he calls back, and he's like, you guys are losers. And we're like, so how, how, how do you feel? And he's like, I only have one question. Was that you guys' lipstick? <laughs> and Alexi goes, uh-uh. He didn't, he didn't do that right now. <laughs> so like, he's in the car, but he's like, he's like no, this is not over. This, this whole story, we talked it all up. It had to have a more epic ending. Would you guys agree? Because we agreed, right? Like, it had to have a better ending. So we go to Albertsons, I remember that. Um, we got a whole bunch of Sprite and Coca-Cola, and we got these balloons. We had to fill them one by one. And we loaded this whole thing up, right, with, with balloons filled with Coca-Cola, and we were ready for a fight. We jumped the fence back at his house, and then this time we see his mom just walk like, into the house. And we're like, did she see us? Is she going to be a traitor? Like, is she a spy? Like, we're thinking all these things, right? And as I'm approaching the house, Ben and Alexi, they're kind of behind me. And I'm just like, okay, let's do this, you know? So we were going to, I don't know what our plan was. And as I'm going towards the house, I see these two eyes move in the backyard in the middle of the dark, right? Like in the middle of the night, there's just two eyes that move like this, you know? And I'm like, and I realize it's Alex Kolibaba and his brother. Now his brother's running. So I realized that that was him. 
So I'm thinking, there's two of them, there's three of us, we can take them. But I turn around, and Alexi and Ben, for some reason, they decided to run, and they're running towards the gate. And I'm holding all these things on, right? And Alex just make it, makes it, like, starts running towards me, and I'm trying to run, but I, I'm loaded with, like, all the ammunition, right? Like, I'm with all the balloons. And I start running, and I, re I realize but, uh, by this point that it's a really bad idea to do this. Um, and I drop everything, and I start running as much as I can, and then I start climbing the gate. Well, Alex caught up to me, and he just, you know, picked me up and just pulled me down. But this time, Vitali came with all the balloons. So, uh, <laughs> the rest of the story, you can probably imagine what happened. It was not pleasant. We forgave each other. And we moved past that, and somehow we still ended up both as youth pastors for seven years. That's the power of the gospel. Okay, I'm done. Let's go. <laughs> no, um, that's my whole point today. I realize that these wars that we have, this is nothing in comparison to what's going on in the world today. I realize there's people in Syria that wake up every single day wondering where they're going to get their food the next day. I realize that there's people that suffer the consequences of war. All they want is to have a good life. All they want is to enjoy their time here on earth. And they don't get to have that. We get to have that, but they don't. I understand that some people, even when we are at camp and we run and we, we try to take, this, this, take advantage as best as we can of the time that we have, some people don't have that advantage because they suffer with some kind of cancer or some kind of missing leg. And over this weekend, I was in Atlanta, and I was looking at all these kids. I'm like, man, they're so good looking, so, they're so passionate for the Lord. And as I, you know, as I look closer, the people, the crowd that I was looking at, and I was like, man, these people seem so perfect. I start to see different things. For example, there's a guy in the crowd, and he's missing his arm. And then I look closer and I see that one of the girls, a really good looking girl too, like one of, you know, she's really cute, she's, and, and her whole leg is missing and it's just like made out of metal. And by the looks of this, you're like, okay, well, they have their life all figured out because they're good looking, they're young, they have, but then when you look closer, you understand there are certain struggles that you haven't seen before. There are certain things that those people are dealing with that, that you haven't dealt with yet. And, and I look at these pictures, and I, I see things on the news. I see things that are happening right now, and, and there's a lot of casualties of war. We are so blessed to live in this amazing, amazing land where everything is taken care of for us, and we don't have to worry about everything, like, like what are we going to eat, and where are we going to go to school. And I mean, yeah, we do to a certain extent, but, you know, we're going to make it. We're going to be fine. But I get it that a lot of people... You know, they have to deal with war at its full kind of, like, depth. War is, is a lot of brokenness. War is no food. That means famine. War is, is injuries and people sitting in cold, begging that they can survive. Rest assured that in war, there's a lot of abuse and rape and, 
child molestation and all these things. Rest assured that war is not a pretty picture by any means. Yeah, we can support Donald Trump and like, yeah, go get in North Korea and all that. But when you actually look at war, it's not a pretty picture. If you look at what happened in the 1940s, if you look at what happened in Vietnam, if you look at anywhere, Iraq or Iran, war is not a good picture, no matter how you define it. And you may say that we are fighting on the right side, but at the end of the day, there will be casualties of war. War is not fun. And maybe we're not dealing with that. We're not dealing with, okay, well, am I going to get drafted or not? Am I going to, you know, is our village going to be attacked? Or am I going to wake up to, you know, some kind of bomb is about to explode in our house? Maybe we don't have doing that, but we actually are fighting something that's even worse. You see, every single human, when a person, you know, is fighting this physical war, when they die, it's over. When they die, it's over. And I know that the suffering, there's no way that I can make it so they can, we can justify that. There's no way to put a pretty picture on war and say, well, that's pretty. You can dress it up the way you want, but at the end of the day, it's brokenness. It's not fun. There's, there's going to be a lot of crying. There's going to be a lot of people being destroyed. But when they die, at least it's over. But we are called to fight in a different war. That doesn't just last a certain amount of years. Some people maybe are called to fight against cancer, against maybe if you have a, a disorder, then maybe you're fighting against that disorder. If you have some kind of disease, you're fighting against that. If you have some kind of like addiction, you fight against that. You know, but all these things, even th th these things in themselves are temporary. When we raise the stakes even higher, the spiritual war that we fight every single day, it's a lot worse. This war has consequences that will stretch not for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, or 50, or 60, or 70 years. This war that we are fighting, guess what? Stretches for eternity. This war that we are, what we're doing here is not just to smile and create memories, which I hope you're doing that. We fight a war that stretched throughout the last centuries. We fight a war that's going to go on for a very long time. And guess what? It has consequences. You know what's worse than the person dying? Their soul being destroyed. What's worse than a person losing their life here on earth is for that person not to have a hope for eternity. That's worse. What's, what's worse than just having a disease is to be thrown in hell forever. That's worse. So I know I'm taking you from, from this kid mentality type of thing, but I think we get older. We, we understand that the things get escalated. And this is serious business. We're not dealing with tractors and business and all that. We're dealing with human souls. We're dealing with our soul. What kind of eternity is it going to have? And where is it going to spend eternity? You see, no matter how good-looking you are, no matter what kind of car you drive and how successful your parents are, maybe how successful you will be, no matter all of that, at the end of the day, at the end of your life, the only thing that's going to matter is what kind of eternity do you face and what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? What's going to matter is the impact that you made here for the impact out there. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote, and he says that if you look at history, people that were so fascinated with heaven actually were the ones 
who created and, and done the most for this world. You want your life to matter here? Start focusing on things that will outlast this life. Things that will be stretching into eternity. Now, now the thing is, is that I, as a youth pastor, I see this constantly. Jesus came. Well, we know the gospel. We know that he came to give us freedom and life. When I read John 10, 10, he says that, you know, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. I'm like, that sounds good to me. I like that. But then you look around. And you see your friends dealing with addictions and anorexia and, you know, things that they cannot get over and drug addiction, porn addiction, and all these other addictions and addictions and, and all, the, the, all the philosophies and atheism and agnosticism and all the other isms and all these things. Like, we are dealing this constantly. And you wonder if God has really called us to have this amazing life. God, where exactly are you now? Because I've heard the stories about our parents. I've heard the stories about everything that happened before us. But God, where are you right now? Where are you amongst my friends, God? Because really, to me, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. What matters to me is what are you doing here in my life and amongst my friends? That's what really matters to me right now, God. And a lot of times I feel like you, you feel disappointed. You feel like, I want to just give up. Like, what's the point of it all? Because I sin, I feel guilty. And if you see the enemy, he comes, and he first he tempts you, and then he accuses you, which makes you, makes you feel guilty. And you're like, might as well indulge in it, because I already feel guilty. And you, you start this cycle, and you're always in this cycle. And you're like, God, if you came for freedom, how is it that I don't, I've been doing this for years? I've been coming to the altar. I've been doing this for years. Like, God, I don't see a change. I don't see a transformation. God, where are you? And it feels like you want to give up. You want to feel like, hey, I mean, what's the point? Can I tell you that you're not the one who's struggling in this? Apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't. But the things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? And he says this famous line, I thank God. Because of Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Exactly where are, what are we dealing with? Max, can you bring me some water? Sorry. And thank you for spilling it now. But, <laughs> um, so I just want to make this very clear that Victor goes to my campus, and this is amazing. Like, he gave me his water. Thank you, Victor. These are kind of service we have at North Campus. But I want to unpack this a little here, okay? The reason you cannot, you know, you, you feel like giving up is because at every single moment, even the second right now, some of you are tempted to just say, let's just go out. Let's just get outside. Some of you are tempted not to come here. Some of you are barely getting through the service. And you wonder why. Can I tell you why? Because even if you have all the right intentions, you're fighting a war. You see, the Englishmen, they wanted to fight and they wanted, they had the right intentions to, to win and prevail against the Germans, but at the end of the day, they still had to fight the Germans. And in this fight, they started with D-Day and they, they sort of made their way into inland and then they had to constantly conquer. At every single given second, you are dealing with three enemies. One of them is you. The Bible says that after the fall, after the fall, 
we became corrupt. And your flesh, you're like, I'm going to pray the Bible today, three hours, maybe four, maybe pray another two. And you're like, why am I so sleepy? That's your flesh. And you know that, that when, when, when somebody like puts stuff on your car and you're like, oh, oh, no, I, ooh, this is not, this is, this is not, that's your flesh. She said, what about me? Whoa, whoa. Let me, let me, let me, let me make it very clear, okay? That's your flesh. Yeah, Slavic was up there. <laughs> mentioned Victor, didn't even mention my name. Slavic, I've been serving North Campus for a very long time. Be nice, you know, just, it's not that hard. Just mention me. That's your flesh. It's, it's uh, the constant thing. Uh, James says that God doesn't tempt anyone, but from inside we are tempted. That's your flesh. The next enemy that you have is obviously the enemy himself, which is, which is devil, which is, which is Lucifer, which is what the Bible calls him Satan. You see, our culture likes to downplay this whole thing. They're like, oh, Satan is like this guy in red tights with a pitchfork and some hordes. Not very scary. I've seen him. No, you haven't. Because the Bible makes it very clear that the enemy, I'll, I'll actually read this passage, it says the enemy, First uh, Peter 5, it says, stay alert, watch for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So if you think you're so strong, go to Africa, and when you see a roaring lion, try to pet it. <laughs> One thing I learned in that small fight that I had with Alex, you never launch a, like a full frontal attack to your superior power. Because there was two of them, and then I, we're supposed to be three, but I'm not even mad at Ben and Lexi. We, we, we worked that out. But like, I was by myself at that point. You see, the enemy is a lot stronger than you, and he's a lot smarter than you. He, he has about 6,000 years of experience. At a given moment, he doesn't read your thoughts, but he knows what you're going through. He knows the strings to pull to get you to, to, to get you to do what he wants you to do. Go against him, you're going to lose over and over and over, unless you don't go against him in your own strength. And the last one that we have is the world. The Bible says that friend of the world, enemy of God. What exactly is the world? The world is, is basically the ideologies, the, all the gods that the world sort of puts on the pedestal, and you, fight, you start kind of like start thinking the same way. There's nothing wrong with culture. There's nothing wrong with, you know, internet and TV and all those things. Those are tools. But be really careful what your eyes are, what your eyes are watching and who you agree with. And what kind of thoughts you allow to be in your, in your mind. First John 2.15 says this, do not love the world, nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers you craving for physical pleasure. Remember how we talked about the flesh? 
<laughs> the flesh craves it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the supply and demand law, you know that? The demand is in the flesh. The world comes with the supply. Here you go. You, you are demanding this, like your feelings are demanding this. We got you covered, you know. He, says on, he goes on to say, for the world offers only cravings for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, your neighbor's car, and pride in your achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from the world. So we have three enemies, and the reason you have such a hard time, and my heart like resonates with what you're going through, because I, I had to go through the same thing, and I'm still going through the same thing. At any given second, we are fighting on three fronts. Have you tried doing that? There's one enemy in front of you, there's one on the side, and there's one under here. You're fighting on three fronts. And here's the thing, if you try to do it alone, you're gonna lose. You can't take three enemies on. You can't fight the world, fight the enemy, and fight your flesh at the same time. So somebody, then the question becomes, okay, how? How do I fight this? Slavic, I can't, because I, I was struggling with the same questions. I got to a point, I'm like, I can't go out anymore. God, you, you have to come through. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And God reminded me of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Amen? Thank you for this amazing story. Girls, if you need a novel, get into the greatest novel ever written. A divine, of God's divine love towards us. See, what happened here was this, is God, when he created you and me, he created us to be like him. And he gave, what, the dominion of the whole world in our hands. He gave everything that he had to Adam. But then when Adam sinned with Eve, the dominion was transferred. They fell under the curse, and he says that now the prince of this world, who is it? It's Satan. And God's looking at this and says, I want buy, I want to buy my people back. But the thing is, here's the problem. A person who's a slave cannot buy someone else back. You see what I'm saying? You cannot buy, you know, say, oh, I'm going to go and buy other people. Well, first, buy yourself off. It just so happens that in this sin, in this curse that we're in, we can't actually buy ourselves out. And God says, okay, well, I need to send someone. The problem is if I raise a person, this person is already contaminated. You cannot have someone that's a slave to actually pay for the sins. And how do you even get a person, one person, to pay for all the sin? And God looked around in heaven and said, who will go for us? And he, he himself, Jesus Christ, steps up and says, I will go for them. And you see, Jesus qualifies because he's fully God. One of his acts can atone for everyone. Not only that, he's not sinful. There's no, the Bible makes it very clear that even when Jesus was here, he never sinned ever. And because he was a perfect sacrifice, he was actually able to buy all of us out, out of our bondages. And he says when Jesus came, the enemy, what did he try to do? He tried the same trick. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came and he's like, 
So Jesus, if you just bow down to me, um, you know, and he first tested them. And the last one says, if you just bow down to me, I'll give everything to you. And Jesus like, nice try, but my father already owns everything. You just got kind of got possession because of the sin of the curse. But there comes a day I will crush your head. There's no, this is not Jesus wrestling with Satan. Jesus says, I'm going to crush you. You're going to be done. I'm not coming here to negotiate with you. I came here to crush you. So he, because he, he what? He understood if he can get Jesus to sin one sin, one lie, Jesus can no longer buy humanity back. He leads them to the cross, hoping that somewhere Jesus will falter. Somewhere Jesus will say, I've had enough. No, thank you. I'm good. But when Jesus, when Jesus goes through with this, when Jesus goes through with this, you know that verse in Genesis that talks about there will come a day where the, the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the enemy and he will bruise his heel. A lot of theologians says the cross was that, where, where Satan tried to bruise Jesus, and Jesus, with his sacrifice, crushed his, heel, uh, crushed, crushed his head. Not only that, but in the, in the process, when he resurrected, he destroyed death itself. How do we know that we get to live forever? Because we know the person who's been there and knows the way out. <laughs> Rabbi Zacharias always says this, how do you scare Lazarus? I'm going to kill you? <laughs> yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> I know who's going to let me out. And, and Apostle Paul says, even if, you're, if, if resurrection didn't happen, that you're still guilty in your sins, and like, this, this is useless. Go do whatever you want to do. But because the resurrection did happen, we do have a hope. A hope that stretches for eternity. Because of what Jesus has done, we, we, we don't have to look and try to save her and post on Instagram like, oh, have you seen the latest, the latest adventure that I've been on? Apostle Paul says, no, you don't have to do all that. Gonna have a whole eternity to enjoy music and enjoy all the, the you know all the stuff you post on Instagram. It's not not that that's wrong. I'm just saying like don't try to savor everything. Why? Because because this is not over. <laughs> We've read the last book, last book in the Bible, and it looks good for us. We win either war. We die. We win. I, I said that to my mom a lot. <laughs> She's like, I'm so scared. Like, you're traveling. Like, you're doing this. Like, you're, uh, you know, and I had a scare with pneumonia and all that. And she's like, I'm really worried for you. I'm like, Mom, we live, we die for Christ. She's like, don't say that. I'm like, but I'm serious. We live or we die, we win. Because I know who's going to let me out. But then this thing comes back. If Jesus paid the price for you and for me. If Jesus actually set us free, why is it so many times we feel like giving up because we've lost so many battles? Can I let you on a little secret here? In the U.S., we have three branches of government. We have legislative, then we have the, uh, the executive, and then we have the judicial. So the legislative department the Congress and the Senate, what they do is they legislate. Speed limit is going to be this much in the state. 
If you do this crime, this is where you're gonna, the punishment is going to be. They legislate things, right? Like they, they, they pass laws. But you see, those laws are useless unless the executive department, which is the president, all the officers, they enforce it. Does that make sense? So there's a department here that creates laws. There's a department that enforces the laws. And the last one, the judicial department, what they do is they actually make sure that when the laws are, are broken, there's, there's payback. You see, what Jesus did on the cross, he legislated our freedom. But he called you and me, the church, to enforce those laws. He called us to be his hands. He called us to be his feet and preach the gospel everywhere we go. And bring people to small group and be, bring people to camp and, and preach. Every, that's what, what, what he's called us to do. But what, do we do, what happens if we fail? What happens if we don't do that? You know what happens? In the United States, when Abraham Lincoln signed the Proclamation of Emancipation where he let all the people, you know, that were slaves free, and he was no longer allowed for anyone to have slaves. Did you know that in Texas, 18 mon months later, there were still slaves? You know why? Because they didn't know. They didn't know that there was this president that signed this proclamation and they were free. And because of that, they still, su they still submitted under their masters. And then one day, one guy on a horse came over and said, you don't, you, what are you doing? It's been almost two years. Like, you were set free. You no longer have to serve this guy. Everyone is free. Go in your, your peace. But when you've been a slave for a very long time, you have a tendency to act like a slave. So two things are happening here. They didn't know. And the other problem is they didn't trust because their whole, what is my master going to do? You're no longer submitted under your master. Like at Boeing, we have this rule where you can now walk and hold your phone. And I've worked at Boeing for 10 years, right? So I remember like I would come home and I pull my phone. I'm like, I can't walk. And I'm like, oh, I'm home. I don't have to do this anymore. Like I, I have this instilled in me that like I can't walk where, you know, and then oh, what's it called? Or like drive. Like if they saw you drive on your phone, that would be a huge thing. And I remember I was driving with a friend of mine and I was in the passenger seat and like I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, oh, and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm in the car. Because like I got so trained not to do that that I kept on acting the same way. So think, two things have to happen here. I have to hear the good news, that I no longer have to do that. And the other thing is that I have to take a, a role on my own to enforce this. I'm no longer under bondage. Now, God maybe sent in your life some pastor, maybe God sent Max, or some, some, maybe your block leader, you know, that, that kind of told you about the gospel. And they brought the good news and they said, you no longer have to be addicted to your addiction. You no longer have to be addicted to people's approval because you have a God who loves you the way you are and he's defining you and you no longer have to look at magazines all these other things because God loves you and cares about you. And he doesn't care about you when, when just for this moment because there will come a day your face will get a little bit saggy and all that. But he cares about you as when he comes to eternity and he loves you. You no longer have to, to you know, kind of play 
saved by, by, by the drum roll of Satan. You no longer have to do any of that because you are free to do and walk and preach and, and to declare things and to say, I'm no longer going to kind of walk the same way. You no longer have to do that. But you're going to have to enforce it. And if it doesn't get enforced, at least we know that there's a judicial process at the end. And God, there's a payday someday. I look forward to all the people who are murdered in genocides and in Darfur and, 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 you know, Nazi Germany. I'm looking forward to one day when God is going to restore all that back. And it's going to pay back. I look, for, I look forward to what, that one day where Satan's going to get what's coming to him. So remember, when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future on this one. Because I look forward to that one day when he's going to get for all the destruction that he's caused in my life, for every single destruction he, he has done it with my friends. I look forward to that. Every single demon and every single, every single person decided with them. I look forward to that one day that everything, all the brokenness and all that is going to be put right again. I look forward to the day when my body will be fully restored and I will even have some weird thoughts in my mind that I'm just like, I don't even know why I'm thinking that before I'm about to preach. What the heck is going on? Why do I get these attacks, these demonic attacks when it comes to my family? Like, why am I? I look forward to that one day when all this, all this is going to be put, is going to put, put together how it was supposed to be. I look forward to the day where all my desires and my emotions and all my motivation, everything that I stand, everything that I am to you, that will be refined. And I'll no longer have to think about the things that I'm thinking about because they will be pure. They will be things that will glorify God and not, not, not have to worry and prove myself that I'm somehow kind of a man just because I have to fight people because if you don't fight for yourself, then who's going to stand up for you? Well, somebody did stand up for all of us. He was 2,000 years ago on the cross. And on that cross, there was no, Satan, are you okay with this? Satan is a defeated fool. If you ever watched the play or watched the movie Wizard of Oz, it's interesting because, like, at the end you see that, like, this, this thing that they were, they were so scared of, they pulled the curtain, and there's a little guy moving the things and pulling on levers and realize that this guy is not really powerful. It's just a guy to put a projector up. And I feel like Satan, yeah, he still has his 6,000 years of experience and his whole goal is to destroy you and me. But he's defeated at the cross. All he's left with is an empty gun and all of us are supplying the bullets. See, we... The, the, the odd thing about this is, is if I were to kind of try to demonstrate this, when, when they tried to invade, you know, when Germans invaded, they had to take that land back. And it'd be like France or be like, you know, these, these countries. And there would be areas where the Germans held those areas and where the British held those areas. So they would have to constantly push constantly push to gain more area. You know what's worse than fighting in a war? Getting stuck behind enemy lines. I learned out a lesson when I got stuck behind that gate. And all my homies were over the gate, and I was like, that was not a fun experience by any means. 
And I promise you that the message for today is when you find yourself like giving up, when you find yourself behind enemy lines, you have two choices. You, either you fight or you run. You see, there's certain things in the Bible that God tells us to flee. You know what flee means? Run for the hills. Not just run, but sprint. And there's this passage that uh, I, a lot of times that I come to is 1 Corinthians 6, 18. says, run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affecting the body as this. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So there's things that you shouldn't try to resist. You should just run. Joseph made it very clear. What did he do? He's like, oh, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I can hold this off. So back away, woman. Like, you should, you should like, be ashamed of yourself. That's not what he did. He ran. There's nothing cowardly about running away. Actually, I think the band and Lexi, they were pretty smart. I was the one who was like, retreat, and they were already running. I was like, what, what's going on, right? Like, they kind of got the hint. They, this is a point where we should probably take off. And when you get in these kind of situations, I hope that you don't try to resist them. You're like, I'm not going to fight those thoughts. I'm not going to fight those thoughts. I'm not going to fight those thoughts. I'm not going to. No, this is where you say, get away from me, and I'm out. And I, I was counseling a, a kid that, you know, he had like, he did something and he called me. He was from a different state. He called me. He's like, hey, I did something really horrible. And I'm like, how did this start? And he says, well, I went over to her house. And I'm like, that's your first mistake. Her parents were on home. That's your second mistake. What are you doing there anyway? There's no point for you guys to test the limit. Run. But then we have different verses. And it says this that when it comes to the enemy, we need to resist him. I'm like, you mean to tell me that I go to a lion and be like, I, take, I can take you down. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. How is it that the Bible counsels me to, to run away from sexual immorality? You know, because here's the thing. This verse talks about how sexual immorality is, is, affects the body. This is a fleshly kind of thing. And the Bible understands that if you don't run away, that's going to be a problem. But when it comes to the enemy, the enemy is already defeated. And he's not, asking you to, he's not asking you to go up to the enemy and be like, yeah, I, I, I got this. He's asking you to say, go resist him because he's been defeated at the cross. And you resist him with that. So the, Goliath, I'm going against you, not in my own strength, but I go against you. In the name who comes ahead of me, Jesus Christ himself. I come against you, not in my own name, but I come against you in his name, who's crushed your head on the cross. But the Bible is not just saying this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. And then he says that you should, what's it called? You should, you know, resist the enemy. But, in, you know, Ephesians 6.10, he goes on to say this then, hey, what you need to understand about this fight, if you have to engage, you know how in psychology they say that like every single time we see a threat, 
we engage this flight or fight thing. You know, like we, we either like, okay, can, can I, you size up the threat and you're like, can I take this? Because if I can, I should be running. But if I can, then I should be fighting it. Ephesians 6 10 says this, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on God's armor. Put on God's armor. But before even that, talks about that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against the enemy, is against principalities. If I can find even that verse, it talks about how we need to understand that we are not fighting against other, what's it called, other believers. We're not fighting against other people. We're not fighting against our pastors. We are not fighting against, you know, all these other things. Um, But we are fighting against principalities, against demons, against, we, that's what we're fighting against. There's another verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 3. It says this, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty power, God's mighty weapons, not orally weapons, to knock, to, to, sorry, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellion, uh, rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Did you know that every single time you spend any second fighting another person, the enemy wins? Did you know that every single time you spend a moment fighting against your mom, the enemy wins? Did you know that every single time you gossip and you kind constantly, you know, tread jab, um, you know, trade jabs on one another? Like you are actually not helping yourself or the other person. You're actually helping the enemy here. And when I told you that, hey, the enemy has his own spots, and he is is constantly looking to conquer even more. <laughs> Look. You don't want to do his work for him. Don't give in to that. Don't give in to this, these weird arguments. Like, there's this passage that Paul talks to, to Timothy. He says, you know, Timothy, I encourage you, don't, don't give in to lustful passions. Like, don't give in to youthful passions. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's about sex. It's, it's got to be about that. Like, and then I realize the whole context is about, like, actually arguing about things that really don't matter. And then I'm like, when I was 16, I was right. I was on the right side. Everyone was on the wrong side. Like, and I wage war against everyone else. And God slowly showed me, like, your war is not against them. Like, turning my head around. Like, the, your, 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 your war is not against them. Your war is against the enemy. Your war is against conquering more. But here's the thing. If you constantly are doing the enemy work, that's sin. Every single thing, that, every single sin that we do is, is a separation from God and agreement with Satan. So every single sin, we put ourselves on the territory of the enemy. Does that make sense? So for us, for us to break that, we have to declare our allegiance back to Christ. That's what repentance is. Say, God, I sinned against you. 
So what you do in repentance saying, God, I stepped and I was fighting for the enemy. God, I was on his side for all these years. And maybe when you start doing it, when you were a Christian, you, sometimes you'll step on, on the enemy territory. And, and, and what you need to do is saying, God, I want to declare my allegiance back to you. I want to step back on your territory. I want to fight for what you called me, for, 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 for the, in the fight that you called me. Now, we're, we're coming to a close, and I want to give you this. That if you were to go, if I were to show up to Iraq like this, and I'm like, bro, I got, got you guys. Like, I, I came here to help. The guys would probably look at me and be like, Slavik, um, you're wearing flip-flops. And you're wearing a shirt. And that watch that you have right now, it's probably, I hope it's tactical, right? Like, I hope it's, it's good for you. But you're very, very ill-prepared. Imagine if I showed up to, to like, you know, you know, Afghanistan, and, like, I have this Abercrombie T-shirt with a flip co- collar and, like, have shorts, right? And, like, I, I, I walk on, I'm like, hey, I got you guys. I got you guys back. Like, I'm, I came, came here to fight. And they're like, what the heck are you doing? Who, who, who is this character? Dude, he came to, to, to our war zone. What the heck are you thinking? No, uh, but I'm ready. When the fire starts, you're like, oh, oh, I was supposed to have a helmet. Oh, I, I get it. So, so you, you start running around and picking things up from dead people, and you're like, I guess this helmet will do, and these boots, and one of them's tight, and one of them's really, long, really large, and you're trying to walk like this, and then the helmet is like way too big for your head, and like, and like you know, like the, the bulletproof vest that you have on is just sort of all over the place, and, and you're like, and people are like, who is, who, who trained this guy? But I think in the spiritual realm, we do this a lot. We go and we start borrowing things from our parents and from some dead, you know, philosopher or some dead theologian, and that helmet was great for them. But you've never run with it. You've never practiced this. You never had the full armor on. What the heck are you doing? Wars are not, lo- I mean, they're not lost and won on the battle. They're, they're, they're won and they're lost in practice. So I hope this camp does two things for you. That you get equipped with the right tools and the right skills to face Monday again to face school again, to face work, and your group of friends you hang out, your homie, your cronies, all that. I hope that you take your faith seriously and says, hey, this is important to me. Because you see, when somebody goes to, when somebody goes to the war, they give months of preparation. They try everything on their trousers. They, they, they try on their, their boots, and they try, okay, this is too large. Okay, can I run in this? And they start running through the woods because they're preparing for a fight. They can't just show up in Abercrombie clothes and be like, yeah, I got got you guys. But if you want to become a Navy SEAL that's trained to go behind enemy lines, do you understand the training that goes into them? Some of you here, you, you know that God is calling you to a ministry, and God is going to call you to jump behind enemy lines. And I hope you are prepared enough to withstand the attacks that come against you because you're not. God's going to ask you to go and plunder hell. And when you go and plunder hell, you're going to have hell mad at you. (laughs) The enemy's going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. 
I hope that we're prepared for that. So what is this armor that we're talking about here in Ephesians 6.10? It says, be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God to stand firm against, listen to this, all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is what we're fighting against. You remember when, when David came to Saul and Saul's like, I got you, bro. Here's, and David's like, what is this? Like, this is way too big. This isn't, that's not how we fight. You don't understand this. Like, I, I didn't come there to fight physically. Saul, what are you doing? I'm not going there. You, you don't understand this. I'm not going there to fight Goliath on my own strength. I'm going there in the name of all names. I'm going in his name. I don't need all this. I don't need that. But I, I need to put on his armor, not yours. This is stupid, Saul. Take it off. So maybe if you grew up in a religious home, I hope that if, if that armor doesn't fit, maybe it's not for you. It's not your size. Maybe in this camp you should probably shed it. Say, God, I'm not fighting. This is not... I'm not fighting with gossip. I'm not fighting with, with, with telling people how horrible they are. I'm not fighting to, to call people fat and ugly and all that. I'm not fighting with people punching, you know, and, you know, punching people in the face. I hope you don't do that here. That's not, that's not a fight. I've, our fight is against principalities and rulers and evil rulers and authorities of, of the unseen world. You look like a clown putting all that up on, like all that armor, and fighting something unseen. Like, what exactly are you doing? Like, throwing things and like... A lot of times in Christianity, I see a lot of that. You're not really sure you're fighting. You're just... If I pray loud and I do like, all these weird movements, somehow this God's going to hear me. It's like, no, that's not how we fight. But how do we fight? It says, therefore, put on every single piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist... Remember that? Resist the enemy in the time of evil, which is kind of all the time. Then after the battle, we'll stand firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body of God's righteousness. So he says what actually holds everything in place is not your righteousness, it's his. The belt of truth for, for so, so I'm guessing Paul was writing this, and he would look at, at a soldier and like, oh, okay, I, I see that. And, and he, he, you know, the belt would hold everything in place. And he says what holds everything in place is not your ideas. What holds everything in place is God's righteousness. And what protects you is actually the bulletproof or the, you know, here it says the, the shield or the, um, uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness. What, what holds everything in place and what protects us is not our own righteousness. So yes, I... You know, I still struggle with lying. I still struggle with all these other things. But when I get up here, I don't come here in my own righteousness. I come in His. I don't, I don't, I don't hope that you take me because Slavik is a good guy. I, I hope you take me that Slavik trusts God. 
That's my hope. That's everything that I have. That is, if there's anything good in me, ultimately it's because of his righteousness. It's the way, what he's done on the cross. And that has translated, I love you because he's loved me. And no matter what you do at the end of the day, it's not going to change how I feel about you because that, that doesn't come from you. It comes from him. That's what holds everything in place. It goes on to say, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news and you'll be fully prepared. He, sa- he says, you know, <laughs> there's this amazing passage, and maybe it's amazing to me because it describes my life. It says, you know, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. The idea being that, like, back in the day, they had the city, and, like, they would send a runner from the war and saying, hey, did they win or not? So this guy would just run. And people were like, you know, if <laughs> the guy that was bringing the news, he knew that if he brings good news, everyone rejoices. But if he brings bad news, usually means his head. So you know what people do like when they come back from the battle? If they would see the guy running, it's like, he's bringing good news. He's running. But if the guy was like, oh, how do I say this? Because my life is on the line. So, so, so they make this reference saying that beautiful are the people that like bring the good news, right? Like the feet that are running. And, it's, and when we go and you start sharing your faith and what God's done in your life, this is what's happening here. This is, God says, put that on. Put on the shoes that come from preaching the gospel and always be ready to say, who do I share with? I know the enemy is going to come after me, but I'm not standing my righteousness. I'm standing his. And who do I share with? Who, who do I share what God has done in my life? This is what it means to put on the boots of the good news of the gospel. He goes on to say this, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So obviously we don't do this now and today, but they would have this shield of faith and every single time somebody would throw like, you know, uh, arrows filled with fire or burning, they would just kind of hold a shield against those things. You've seen it in the movies. I, mean, I, know, I know you've seen it. And God says, our faith is what actually kind of protects us from every single time the enemy throws an arrow. And he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? You see, when you go to war, what, a, what the United States will actually first do is try to knock down all the communication. So, so in this sense, what they're trying to do is take out the brains. Because they, they know if, if the brains are taken out, if the computer systems are down, if the electrical grid is down, then ultimately they can't communicate. So the enemy, will, he'll do a lot, is actually come after you. To your, he's got to come after how you think and how you do that. And like a lot of times he'll bring doubt. Did God really save you? And the whole life, your whole life will fall apart because of this one doubt that you have. And here it says, put on the helmet of salvation because the enemy is going to bring those doubts. But he says, but when you put his salvation on, those things that come against your head is not going to penetrate. Because ultimately, I'm like, you know what? I made a decision, guys, when I was about 23, maybe. I don't know, maybe it was earlier. I'm like, no matter what happens in my life, I will go to my grave doing and believing what I believe about Christ today. I have a friend of mine who's an atheist, and like, he's like, don't you think that's kind of arrogant? What if you discover something? I looked at him, I'm like, bro, we had atheism with us for the last 2,000 years. You're not really pioneering anything new. I made my decision. When this conversation, conversation happened, I was 30, and I was like, 
I'm not 16, I'm 30. I made a decision, I'm going to go to my grave believing what I believe about salvation that I have in Christ. And nothing we can do, any theology, any, any, well, bad theology, if there's such a thing as that, you know, any philosophy can never stand against that because I'm a man who doesn't really have anything else to lose and guess what? Can't really do anything to that guy. I know who Christ is in my life. I'm not stored off a lot of attacks when it comes to how I think. And it's funny because I challenge this person. I'm like, bro, you're a Pentecostal Baptist and you're, uh, you know, you're reformed. And after you reformed, you became Calvinist and they became a hyper-Calvinist. And then you became a universalist and you became an agnostic and then you became an atheist. So which one were you right about? Because the things I believed at 16 years old, I still believe today. And I'm going to go to my grave believing that. And then he says, take up the sword. Remember this one? Take up the sword. This is your fighting thing. I remember when I was 16, I was so depressed that I wanted to commit suicide, and I tried, but it didn't really happen. I knew that God had a better plan for me. And I remember I would just like, take notes, and like, I would write this word, and I would put it everywhere on my, like, my, like, on my room. And I was like, God, I know, that, like, I know that you called me to something greater than this. And I would just memorize, and every single time the enemy would come to me, I'm like, I know the plans that he has for me, plans to prosper me and give me a new future. I know that he can't do anything because he said that. And I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, I know these things, and nothing you can do can ever take that away from me. I remember those moments. And the the last one that I want to mention, remember you're going to be attacked on three fronts. Front, (laughs) left, and right. Have you noticed we're missing something here? What or who's covering your back? I got, I got a verse for that. The next verse is this. Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Did you miss it? He says, after you put all, all this armor, pray for everyone else. So who's covering your back? The people who are praying for you. You cover, I cover Paul's back, he covers mine. I cover Max, Max covers mine. So you know what it looks like? You've seen it in the movies when all the Romans would like get like this and they would fight and then everyone protected their back. That's what God has called us to do in this world. God has called us to be in this world where, where the enemy comes from every single side, but we stay back to back. And we're like, I got you, bro. I got you. And you know what? Even if I die, I will protect your back. I will protect you from this. Can't miss this. It's important. You think this camp, all these silly games that we got to play tomorrow is about being silly? I hope that you take this moment and you step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, my name is Slavik. What's your name? You are surrounded by a whole bunch of people that at least are trying to follow after God. And that's important. Surround yourself with people that are pursuing God. Because as though it was as funny as that story at the beginning was, I don't know how much I owe to Alex Kolibaba. Because he's been my homie since I came here. The first person that I had here was him. And he took me to the first prayer where Grandpa took turn around and said, you're preaching next. And I'm like, what? Like, I remember those things. And we go to all the prayers and Vital Baba and all the other people that came after that. Those are the people who, who obviously God defined ultimately who I was, but they, they shaped me and they molded me 
And today and tomorrow, you're going to make some friendships that will change you, mold you. And, you know, research says that you're going to become the best out of five average people that you know the best. I hope that those people that you know the best are people that are godly. Because things are coming. You're going to hope really hard. When you have three deaths in the family in one year and a half, you're going to hope really hard that somebody's got your back covered. When you have a crisis of faith, when the enemy got one of those, those arrows in, in, into you, uh, it's going to be really important that your back is covered. That somebody's going to come alongside. It's like, Slavik, I remember my dad died and people come up to me. And like, I know I appreciate it. And most people come up to me. Slavik, I don't, I don't understand it. But I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to mourn here with you. And I'm going to pray here with you. And when I would have a celebration, people would come alongside me and like, Slavika, I don't really understand what you got, you got a promotion, you got a, but I'm going to celebrate that with you. I'm going to multiply your joy and divide your sorrows. That's what I'm going to do, Slavika, for you because I got your back. Through thick and thin, you are someone that I'm looking forward to, 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 to see every single day. Sorry, guys, I didn't plan to get emotional, but like, I look over these last seven, eight years and the people that got my back are people that I met at camps. So I hope you take advantage of that. As silly as you look tomorrow in those games. If you lose your voice. And even if you go to, up to someone and you give them a hug and there's, they're just still. And you're like, that was cold. <laughs> I hope you don't give up. I hope you pursue every single friend you have with, I remember like what got me out of all this trouble was, was just looking at people I'm like that person's godly and I would go and just start pursuing them because I like, it, it sometimes looked weird and cheesy, but like, I'm like, I got to be friends with that person because they're godly. And that life, their life is going to impact my, my life. So we're going to come to prayer right now and I really hope that, that God is speaking to your life right now. I want to summarize this and say that we live in a world and we are fighting a spiritual war. You're going to deal with war in yourself, outside. You're going to have to deal with war every single time. You know how hard it is? Like Fridays for me are the worst when I have to preach because like there's always something that goes wrong. I'm amazed. And I'm like, no, not today. Satan, no. Like this is not, this is not going to happen. Like it amazes me like Planning camp, like how many, how many things can it go wrong? Or like, it amazes me. And I understand that we're fighting a war. And he'll come, if, if you're trying to do this, he'll come to you, after you with everything that he's got. But we have a savior. We have an amazing God who changed everything. He crushed the head of enemy. He crushed the head of Satan. And right now, Satan is doomed. One day is payday, and I look forward to seeing his demise. Enough is enough. I look forward to that. So that is my, my message for tonight. I want to just call you. If, if this message is spoken to you, I don't know how long we're going to pray here, but I really hope that as a sign of saying, God, I, I've been dealing with this. If you are dealing with, with a war at home, that you say, God, I, I come here and I lay everything. I, I, I'm going to get rid of my bullets, all my, you know, uh, bags filled with coke. Well, not like you guys get the coke, right? The reference from the first. 
Coca-Cola bags. You know, the balloons that I talked about. But if you have drugs here, I give you permission to come late. We'll have a conversation with you, but uh, lay down anything you have at the altar. If it's anger, say, God, I'm going to come and bring that to the altar. If it's, if it's an addiction, could you come and say, God, I'm going to bring it to the altar. If, you, if you're always trying to get your way, and if you're always looking for people to approve, uh, to, to approve of you, and that you come and lay it to the altar. That is my hope for you tonight. And as, as we you guys are going to stand up, and I want to give you a few minutes here and just kind of, I, I want you guys to be quiet for maybe a minute or so and just really, really kind of think of what God is speaking to you right now. I know there's people that, that God is calling you because you've been really trusting yourself. You haven't been trusting anyone else. Because you feel like everyone has been betraying you, well, you have a God who has not betrayed you. You have a God who cares and loves, loves you. Maybe you have people here that you are still trying to define who you are in Christ. Would you, would you spend some time at the altar and say, God, God, just take this. And I, I personally, when I'm going to have like Mark and if we have Max and We'll, we'll keep on praying from the microphone, but I just actually want to pray with you. I know this is the first night, and it's kind of awkward. What are people going to think about me? Nobody cares about like what you think. Like At the end of the day, everyone's thinking about themselves right now. Guys, take this moment. You don't have to be at work tomorrow. You don't have Take this moment and say, God, I'm going to come and just lay everything that I have at the altar. God, I'm tired of agreeing with the enemy. God, I'm tired of making vows that go nowhere. God, I'm tired of all this. So would you do that with me? Like, would you just close your eyes right now? If God is calling you, would you start making your way to the front? I want to actually pray with you individually. If it's one person, it's one person. If it's more, come to the front. I know it's the first day. I know it's the first day. Guys, be bold. We're going to be here for three days. You know, this is going to happen. Like, be bold. Come up, come up, come up, come up. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Don't, don't, don't hold back. Don't hold back. I want to have our leaders. Once you guys come here, our leader's going to surround you and start praying with you. Come up, come up, come up, come up, come up. Don't hold back, guys. And if God, if maybe you are hearing me, maybe you're not dealing with anything, but, but God is calling you into a ministry. God is, calling you to, God is calling you to be the Navy SEAL of Christianity where you're going to go behind enemy lines, where you're going to go, have to go and, and actually pull people out of addiction. We're going to have to go and preach to people and say, come back to Christ. You're going to be attacked in a way that you, you've never been attacked before. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you and inspire you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, would you share it with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.